If you're looking for a clean, sober, professional, academic, well-researched, historically accurate, generally accurate, serious podcast on Southern folklore, ghosts, bizarre events, and unique people, this podcast is not for you. However, if you've decided you can live with that, then join us for The Strange South. Patrice. Hey, Courtney. Hi, Courtney. Hi. I'm kind of here. <laughs> you sound so, you sound so sad. You're like a wisp of a thing. Just feel, I feel like a wisp. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, since we last talked to you, I got my first round of vaccine. Woo! Yay. And Courtney got her second round. <laughs> and I'm currently, um, Second day after, and it's totally worth it, but I do not feel very well. So my drink for tonight is Pedialyte, and <laughs> um, I may or may not stay on the entire time. It's just been very fatigued, uh, muscle aches, but nothing I can't survive, especially now I know what the end game is. It's not like being regular sick when you don't, like, why did this happen, but... There's right. a purpose and it's totally worth it. I'm just, uh, I've been vegging out and napping all day. <laughs> yeah. Well, and if you think about it too, uh, it's been a year pretty much almost. It's been almost a year. Like I, I count like March 13th to me, March 13th was the day that I'm like, nope, we're done, <laughs> we're done yeah. with the world. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so it's not quite there, but it's getting close. Um, Mm -hmm. And we, and I don't even want to put this out in the universe, but let's (laughs) just say masks have helped and not being around other people have helped my family a lot not be sick. Right? Yeah. Like the little colds, the little stomach viruses. That's true. When they go back to school and it Mm -hmm. runs through the whole family. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, that has not been an issue. We've had sinus stuff. So now it's like I can really pinpoint like what is actually cold, like virus, and then mm-hmm. what is actually allergies and sinus Me infections. Mm-hmm. And it's really it's been very interesting. I mean, this is kind of such a unique existence right now to like measure so many different things that's going on. It's just really, it's just really strange. It's just like, <laughs> y'all know this. Everybody's been with us for like a year. You've been living <laughs> it. You know how strange, but I don't think about it sometimes like that because I'm just surviving like everybody yeah. else. It's like, what, I'm just taking it one day at a time and just trying, you know, to do the best. But then if you stop and think about it, because I'll get online and I'll hear, you know, uh, mothers, because we're homeschooling my child. And I hear like in my homeschooling group, you know, mothers freaking out about their worried about their kids being behind. And somebody posted the other day and they're like, look, you need to take a deep breath. I was like, your kid is in this moment in history that is unlike any other really moment in history. I mean, sure, we've had pandemics in the past, but, you know, this is unique to our generation. So take a deep breath. Mm -hmm. They're not going to be stupid if they miss, you know, a few things this year, even next year, they'll still be able to get into college. 
you know, Mm -hmm. just take a deep breath and, you know, live in the moment and enjoy what you do have, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of stuff. So it's like, yeah, you know, that's it. That's true. We are Mm -hmm. living a moment in history and it's just because we're so close to it. We can't see the forest because of the Mm -hmm. trees, right? Not the same it's just weird it's just it's like if you stop and think about it just like fuck so weird yeah we should really be like forgiving ourselves and everybody else like everything but mm-hmm. i don't know i i forgive my kids a lot for you know when i remember like you're saying like sometimes you have to step back and be like oh my god this has right? never happened to anyone before and they're dealing fine and they don't have to get like certain percentage grades and shit right. and it's funny because i was like you know, they actually never really had to get certain percentage grades because it doesn't necessarily mean whether they've learned the content or not. I was like, they're right. working from home, so I can see whether they've actually learned the content. If they, you know, if right. it gets screwed up and they get like a 50 on it, then we can talk about it and I can help fix it. And that probably wouldn't happen at school. <laughs> yeah, you actually, actually, you actually know about that 50 instead of like them saying, oh yeah, well, you know, I didn't do so good and moving on, which is like... <laughs> normally what happens <laughs> but yeah i was like yeah i should we should forgive ourselves we should regret other people so it's like except for those fuckers that are out there getting everybody else sick <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly we don't forgive y'all <laughs> i will never forgive i'll never forgive oh my goodness oh good times good times today is valentine's day as we record this it is valentine's day and happy valentine's day happy valentine's day to y'all i got the covid vaccine for the ones i love (laughs) yes yes (laughs) valentine's giving yes if the keeps giving (laughs) yes hopefully not covid that's the point that's the point covid (laughs) exactly (laughs) the gift that keeps not giving covid yes that's the point so that i can see my mom once she gets her second one and feel much safer but still wear masks but still see her more yeah i know yeah yeah so it's like you know once the majority of us get this and seeing how the numbers do it's again it's the unknown it's like is this going to be like a twice a year thing a once a year thing like we're, we're at this point of we just don't know we just don't know i just expect an annual booster just like the flu shot i expect it to be just like the flu shot like an annual booster that they rehash every year and you have to continue to get it but i'm right. my thing is like maybe i should just keep wearing masks all the time like that's one of the oh, things you know i was really like, thinking you know about I, that too i may never go to walmart without a mask again you know after <laughs> studying and being forced to study how viruses work and how much other air we breathe that are other people's air i Mm. i'm and those people are dirty they are dirty (laughs) yeah because like you were saying i have not been sick like Mm -hmm. i usually have bronchitis at least once a year oh my gosh and i always thought that that was something i had done but i didn't realize how much it was probably i picked it up from (laughs) And I always felt sick when I travel, you know, and I thought, well, I'm fatigued and I do know I'm around more people, but I didn't realize how much I was probably picking it up from the environment. Just 
Oh, I know. And especially like if you teach and you're around like oh, yeah. all those little around germ those, pods. <laughs> those dirty freshmen. The dirtiest. They're like kindergartners. They touch each other and lick things. Mm-hmm. You're like kindergartners with STDs. Yes, they are. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And their moms don't make them bathe as much. Because <laughs> they're not there. So they just do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh oh god so also tuesday's fat tuesday mardi gras i, mean, I know it's just like right. all hitting all at once i'm like i'm not ready but i don't have to be ready for anything but <laughs> i know i was like i'm not ready either well it's um we had thought about getting a king cake for our whatever mardi gras you know recording we were gonna do and then we just it just never it just didn't happen because <laughs> you know we've gotten a king cake from artisanal baked goods for the last two years and they are spectacular spectacular but we just haven't gotten Amazing. there maybe i'll try and do it tomorrow just as a support thing for them but and for yes. me because god knows yes. i know i, I feel kind of bad that we're not doing like a mardi gras themed podcast but you know what we're at this moment in history <laughs> and we forgive ourselves and we forgive ourselves and plus we're still doing a damn podcast i was like <laughs> yes yes go team go team and i was figuring up the numbers for no apparent reason because i'm obsessed with putting us into like different seasons and so it's like 13 shows a season so i think this is going to be the first show of season six season six welcome to season six i'm glad that you put it into seasons it sounds a lot more impressive when you say that (laughs) we're in season six I'm like, ooh, six whole seasons. That's going on my resume. It my totally is. Non-existent, <laughs> completely. I don't want to tell people that I swear on the internet radio resume. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I tell you know, everybody I, that. I, <laughs> well, people who really know me know that that's, that's just kind of how it is, right? <laughs> people that know us, they, they know mm-hmm. that's how it's going to roll. <laughs> and I've already thought about that. I was like, God, you know, <clears throat> it's like, you know, fuck it. It's like, fuck it. <laughs> this is who I am. Also, we're all grown ups here. We are. <laughs> if our potential employers don't respect that we're all grown ups and um, that we say grown up things, mm-hmm. then they are not our people. And, and it's, a, I mean, we're, we're rated explicit for a reason. Exactly. I think it's kind of badass. <laughs> <laughs> they should be glad to know. I feel like <laughs> they should be glad to know us. I feel like I need an explicit tattoo, actually, and just go ahead and warn the <gasps> <Ooh>. world. <laughs> oh, <A> parental <laughs> advisory. Parental advisory. Oh, where would you put that? <laughs> <laughs> I want it now. Oh, I already drank all my first mimosa. Me too. Should we take a pre-show? I'm drinking since I'm eating pop popsicles and drinking Pedialyte. <laughs> what is your drink? I oh, that's right. So I am <laughs> just having a screwdriver, but it's was- pink. Yeah, I got I stumped my toe on the grenadine. So I'd like to oh. throw a little grenadine to make it kind of like pretty. <laughs> I didn't know where that was going. You, <laughs> you, you, you did like, what on the grenadine? 
red because you bled in it's it? Like, did you it? bleed into your drink? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> I stumped my toe on the grenadine. I, I put too much in there. Is no. that what that means? Yeah. Haven't you ever heard? I've never heard that. What? I mean, I stumped my toe and said stump my toe, but not when I added something. It's because I, I hit my toe on something. <laughs> That's what that means. That's, That's new to great. me. So that means you accidentally poured too much in? Mm-hmm. Ooh, I that can't remember just, that. That can't just be me. I'm going to have to look that up. Cause well, I'm sure we'll get feedback. Okay. Somebody, somebody share. I say it all the time. I stump my toe on it, meaning that like I accidentally like poured the whole thing in there basically but that's so weird because that means that i've ignored it every other time you've said it that means if you Probably. say it all the time that means i've heard you say it oh yeah so i must have just been like huh she's weird <laughs> <laughs> what a weird thing to say but it's patrice it's okay <laughs> i like grenadine in mine too it yes makes it pretty it's like a sunset it it's like a tequila sunrise without the tequila right it's just a lot of vodka yeah okay so my story this week is I thought about doing it last year during um, during Black History Month, but I didn't. And partly because there's a really amazing drunk history on this story that I saw right before I was going to do it for the show. And I was like, well, fuck. <laughs> just and it may not have even been brand new at the time but it was just because I just saw it and I was like well I can't top drunk history <laughs> so we are like right neck and neck with drunk history oh ratings yeah, yeah. Right now, right? of course of course <laughs> yes so it's like yeah I can't but then you know so now I've had a year and I haven't seen that drunk history for a year so now I'm feeling like I can tell this story now um <clears throat> But it's one that I, I hadn't known until I may have found out about it when we went to Charleston and started looking it up. And so it's a South Carolina story. I feel like I'm doing a lot of South Carolina, but um, it's the story of Robert Smalls. Are you familiar with that name? God, that sounds very familiar. You may you may have heard it or you may have seen this Drunk History episode. But um, so most of my sources are, I got um, some good information from the Beaufort, South Carolina District Collection from Smithsonian Magazine, um, which ran an excerpt from a book on him by Kate Lineberry called Be Free or Die. And um, I'll drop the link in the show notes. And uh, there was also a PBS article by Henry Louis Gates that was originally from The Root that had a lot of information in it. So um robert smalls he was born in beaufort south carolina <clears throat> on april 5th 1839 and um his mother was named lydia i guess it's polite was her last name and she was the woman who was enslaved by the family of this really well-to-do south carolina cotton planter named john mckee so Lydia was Gullah. She was originally from the Sea Islands off of uh, South Carolina, and she had been taken from her family as a child to work in the fields at the McKee Plantation. But when she was like nine or 10 years old, they brought her into the house to, to take care of the McKee children. There were like five kids. Um, so when she was, she was like 22 years old in 1818, Lydia had a son named Larry, and they immediately took him from her and sent him into the fields to be raised with the children of the field hands instead of with her. 
And he was working as a quarter hand when he was six years old in the fields. So she saw like firsthand what can happen to, to your own children, even when you're in like what they would have considered kind of a more privileged position. And she never forgot it. So John McKee, the, the cotton planter died in 1834 when his son Henry was 23 and all the property got transferred to Henry. So there was 60 enslaved human beings that got transferred to this 23 year old. And, um, in 1839, Lydia Polite had another, a second son, and his name was Robert. Um, his last name was Smalls. She would have been about 43 at this time when she had him. And Robert, I know, right? That's what I thought too, because I had to do the math like four times. I was like, for real? But um, Robert was a light-skinned child, and most people assume that his father was either Henry McKee, which is just weird to me because he was so much younger and Lydia like raised him pretty much and the idea that he was Robert's father is weird or it could have been the plantation manager whose name was Patrick Smalls so he did take the name of the plantation manager maybe that was his dad but either way Henry McKee favored Robert over a lot of other children and definitely all of the other enslaved children so Robert stayed in the house where his mother stayed instead of living out with the other with the field workers and he became he becomes like henry's personal valet basically so he goes hunting with him he goes fishing with him he watches after his horses he goes boating with him and at a time when it's illegal to teach enslaved people to read or write robert somehow learns to read or write so you think maybe henry arranged for something here and he may have also just taught himself Um, but he had access enough to, to learn how to do that. So he also plays with both black and white children, which is unusual. And he pushes boundaries and his mother sees that this could be more than just a small problem Mm -hmm. because like he's being raised in this like white household with no recognition of what other people like who are enslaved are going through and he doesn't even realize that he's enslaved at all she thinks so she's like you know what when he's an early teen she has him sent out into the fields for a while to work to see what that's like and specifically to see other enslaved people wearing iron collars and being whipped at the whipping post because she's like this is a life or death deal like it's supposed to show him what reality is for him and um she's thinking if he sees this, he's going to be scared enough by it to come back and check himself. Mm -hmm. And instead he comes back pissed as hell. Right. And he starts starting fights. He ends up in the Beaufort jail more than once. Um, He starts like kind of pushing more boundaries, breaking more rules because he's seeing like, well, that's not fair. Right. And that's not okay. And, um, So Lydia says, well, fuck that all backfired. And she um, decides that to get him out of this whole environment, like I'm going to get him out of trouble. I'm going to send him someplace else. So she asks McKee to rent him out to work in Charleston. So he's a teenager now. And McKee's like, all right, you know, I go back and forth to Charleston 
will will let him take jobs there. So he gets a couple jobs in Charleston. He's a waiter for a while. He's a lamplighter. He works as a dock worker. He's he's a short guy. He's like five five, and he's pretty sturdy. So dock work is really good for him. Um, it really suits his like his physique, I guess. And McKee lets Robert keep a dollar of his wages every week, and all the rest of his wages go back to McKee. So. Um, you know, he starts kind of saving up money in Charleston. He starts working for a rigger um, named John Simmons, and he learns how to make sails and how to pilot vessels, um, sea vessels. And McKee agrees to hire Robert out as a tradesman because he starts getting really good at this stuff really, really fast, and he can earn more money that way. So McKee gets more money. He right. still gets a dollar a week. Um, and during this time, Smalls meets a woman named Hannah Jones. She's enslaved as well. She's working as a hotel maid. And they fall in love, and Smalls asks Hannah's owner, Samuel Kingman, if he can marry her. And McKee and Kingman have to agree on this arrangement. And they're like, okay, yeah, you can, but Smalls has to pay Kingman $5 a month so his wife can live with him. So, um, and you know that when Hannah has children, which she does, she has two kids, she and Robert have two kids. And the understanding in the society is that those kids belong to Kingman now. And so Robert knows that he can lose his whole family on a whim if this dude just decides that that's the way it's going to be. Right. He's 22 years old. You know, this is his first love. This is his, Mm -hmm. his first children. There's no way he's, you know, and he's like, he's got a lot of fire in him and he's, he's not the type to just say, I'm going to let this, this happen. And so he goes to Kingman and he says, how much would it cost me to buy my family off of you? And Kingman sets the price at $800, which is 700 more than Robert has saved. Right. In all his time working in Charleston. Right. So it's base, it's the equivalent of $23,000 today. Shit. So it's pretty much impossible for him to, to see that, like, he would be able to do this before something bad would happen, you know? Right. So he thinks, if I can't buy them, I'm going to have to find another way to, to, to fix this. I've got to figure out how to get them free. And um, it's kind of like a, how the hell are you supposed to do that? Because it's not like they can just take off. I mean, they've got two babies. I mean, we've, we've all seen a quiet place, like without an insulated crib (laughs) on wheels, you cannot get babies out silently from any danger. So it's just not, it's not in the cards. So, um, so Robert just keeps working and he keeps thinking and all the time he's thinking. And in spring 1861, he lands himself a job as the wheelman on a Confederate gunboat called the planter. And, um, I had to do like a big history refresh for myself, despite the number of times we've talked about stuff like this. So I'll give you one too. In 1860, the Southern states, that's when Southern states start to secede Mm -hmm. because Lincoln and South Carolina is the first state to secede. Fort Sumter is a union fort at the entrance to Charleston Harbor, which is where Smalls does most of his sailing. Lincoln wants to keep hold of this union fort, knowing that some serious shit is about to go down. Charleston Harbor is one of the largest ports in the Confederacy. Everything goes through there. It's critical for supplies, for imports, for everything. And so Lincoln tries to resupply his union fort and the rebels say, hell no, you're not coming in here. And they turn the guns on it in April, 1861. And they open fire on Fort Sumter and the Confederates take it. And that is the beginning of a civil war. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So 
Robert Smalls gets this job on the planter less than a month before all this shit goes down in Charleston Harbor. So he's right in the thick of it all. And um, so in, in uh, he's, he's part of a crew of 10 people on this, this um, steamer. There's only three white officers on the ship. The captain's name is Charles. I think it's Relier, R-E-L-Y-E-A. I don't know how to say that. I'll say Relier. Um, and the other seven people on the ship are enslaved workers from like teens to mid middle age. Um, but they're all skilled workers and they're good crewmen. And so this, this planter, um, the ship, the planter was, was meant to haul cotton, but now it hauls guns and ammunition to all the forts, the Island forts up and down the coast. And, um, so while he's working at this job in 1861, Small starts picking up um, a bunch of side jobs with merchants trying to move goods in and out. So he gets to know the Charleston Harbor really, really well. And he studies all the sea charts of South Carolina and he studies all the charts of the Southern coast. He becomes an expert pilot going through all these things for the merchants. So of course, like about 10 miles out off the coast, the union, the U S Navy has set up a blockade of the Harbor to stop goods from passing in and out. And there are all these blockade runners who are smuggling goods um, into Charleston. But Charleston was called a rat hole by the North because there are so many small channels running in and out of the harbor that it was basically impossible to blockade it. It was really, really hard to navigate all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, he f- he worked it constantly. So he knows how it all works. And over the course of the next year, Smalls is having to navigate this daily so he's an expert. He's not the captain of the planter, but he probably should be. He's got like all the skills that a captain would need. And he's paid attention to every single thing that's ever said and done around him. So he studies the captain. Every time they go past the forts, he watches the signals that the captain throws. He studies how the captain walks and he struts around the deck with his wide brim straw hat on and he folds his arms. He makes himself the most trusted and indispensable person on this crew. So on May 12th, 1862, the crew has taken the planter to Coles Island that's just off the coast to pick up some ammunition and guns and firewood, and they're supposed to bring it back to Fort Sumter. There's 200 rounds of ammunition. There's a 32-pound pivot gun, a 24-pound howitzer. There's four other guns, and one of the ones in, in the stock that they're bringing is one, is one of the guns that had been dented in the original attack on Fort Sumter. So it's like, I don't know, iconic or something. Um, so they bring the planter back, they dock it at the wharf in Charleston, where they always dock it. And Captain Relier and his two white officers decide they're going to go on shore and spend the night with their wives and their families, which is illegal. Um, they're supposed to leave a white man on deck at all times on the ship at all times, but they're like, well, you know, we trust these guys and what the hell are they going to do? They're just a bunch of like slaves. Right. So they just head on out. And right before they leave, Smalls is like, hey, do you mind if we bring our families back to the ship to visit us for a while while you're gone? And Captain Relier says, okay, as long as they're, they're they got to be out by curfew because there's a special curfew for black people in Charleston. Um, but as long as they're out by curfew, fine, do whatever you want. So they step up, step off the wharf and Smalls turns to the other guys and he's like, okay, it's on. Like, this is the moment we've been waiting for. Because about a month before this, he has started feeling out his other 
crewmates on the idea of maybe just a little tiny bit of stealing their huge ass gunboat right from under these guys' noses right. and I mean, filling it, it with a, their families. A lot of balls to have a crew with only like two people in charge and the rest. I mean, mm-hmm. to me, that's like, I mean, yeah, I would totally be thinking what he was thinking. It was like, it's like are, an invitation to who are these people, sedition, right? Yeah, right? Know, who do they right? think they are? It's like, but it's because standing it's, there in their white hats and, you know, but it's that feeling of like, they just assume that, you know, yous are just too stupid. There's no way you can figure, I mean, it's that feeling of superior, like false superiority that like, right. there's no way you could fucking do anything like this. Right. But also like, you know, generations of terrifying yeah. people with yeah. pain and cruelty. And death. But, um, yeah. So, um, you know, he's, he's, he's talked to these folks for like the past month and he's like, okay, I think, I think I can make this happen for us and we are going to get our families out of here. So um, he's he's been really careful about introducing this because like just talking about this idea could get you killed. And it was like, what, 40, 40 years before this, Denmark VC in, in South Carolina, right? Oh, had a rebellion that was undone by a fellow enslaved man who ratted everybody out. So it's like, right. you've got to be really careful. But his crew was all on, his crew was all on board. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so... Um, Captain Relier and his two other white officers leave and the families of the enslaved crew come to the ship and Robert tells them what he wants to do. And this is the first time any of them have heard any of this. And so some of these wives and children and the family members are just like inconsolably. They're just like, what the fuck are you thinking? Like, how are we ever going to do this? Right. But Hannah, this is your Valentine's Day shout out. Hannah tells Robert, and I don't know where they got this quote. It's it's from, it may be from Robert Small's record. It is a risk, dear, but you and I and our little ones must be free. I will go for where you die. I will die. Oh, that's so sweet. So Valentine's Day. But um, so, you know, she kind of, her calmness kind of infects the other people and they kind of, they're able to chill out and they're just like, well, we, we have to, this is our only shot. So um, the three, three of the, the enslaved crew members pretend like they're escorting the families back to their houses, but they instead circle around and they hide in another steamer that's docked at the nearby wharf called the North Atlantic Wharf. Their plan is not just to like sneak out though, because the planter, it's a steamer boat. So it's big and it's super fucking loud and it shoots it like belches smoke all right. the time there's no way they can just like they're gonna wake up the town by like, no kidding they can't just like right <laughs> yeah. um and i know right <laughs> tiptoe <laughs> they um so they know they only have to make it like those 10 miles out to reach the union blockade but to get there they have to pass several heavily armed confederate forts in the harbor and a bunch of gun batteries along the shore and the only way that they can do it is to play it cool and make everybody think that those three white officers are still in charge. So it's 2 a.m. It's like dark, dark. Smalls puts on the captain's uniform coat. He pulls out the captain's wide brim straw hat and he starts to strut around the deck, just like the captain. And he tells the crew to hoist up the South Carolina flag and the Confederate flag and pilots the ship out of the dock. And there are two people, a police officer and a Confederate guard, both see the ship leave. And the Confederate guard even like watches it go and just doesn't think 
anything of it. They're just like, well, obviously the right people are in charge here. And mm -hmm. so they just watch it go. And um, so Smalls takes the planter and he pilots it to the North Atlantic wharf to pick up their families from where they're hiding in that other boat. And he slides it in so like effortlessly and cleanly that they don't even have to throw a plank to get them. They can just step onto the ship. Like he's a really, really good pilot. And um, <clears throat> so they get 16 people on board eventually. That's like the crew members, their wives, children, and a couple of other men in their families. And they all go below decks and then Smalls sails them out. They approach Fort Johnson and Smalls gives a signal that he's seen the captain give like a million times and he gets no challenge from the fort. So, so far they're good. They're allowed to pass at around four 15 in the morning. They're getting close to Fort Sum Sumter and the crew is like, please, please, please just, just slide around, like give it a wide berth. They're going to see us like there's, they're not going to let us by. And Robert knows that that's not what the captain would do. He's like, the whole thing is I have to pass for this dude. We have to pass for these guys. Mm -hmm. And if he went a wide berth around, they would think that it was weird. So he steers the planter directly beneath the walls of Fort Sumter. This is like the ballsiest dude you've ever heard of. God. He keeps, I, it's, it's awesome to me. He keeps, he keeps to the shadows inside the pilot house and his face is hidden under the straw hat. He, um, he keeps his, cause he's, like I said, he's watched the captain walk around. So he keeps his arms folded just like the captain would. He, he blows the steam whistle. It's like two long blows and one short one is the signal that you're supposed to give when you're a friendly, friendly vessel. And he even waves at the guards that are standing like 40 feet up on the fort walls. And um, one of them shouts down, like, pass the planter and blow the damn Yankees to hell or bring one of them in. And he shouts <laughs> at them. <laughs> I and so Robert Small shouts back, aye, aye, and probably flips him off in the dark. And then the planter, like, just, it sails on out of range of the cannons. And as soon as they're out of range, they pull down the South Carolina and Confederate flags. Robert has had Hannah pack a bed sheet, and they hoist the bed sheet as high as they can get it and head straight for the Union blockade. So they're... Um, they're headed for like this three-masted clipper ship called the Onward. And as they close the gap, though, this really heavy fog comes in over the water. It's getting close to sunrise, but it's dark enough with the fog that the Onward can't see the, the white sheet. And they think the boat is coming in to ram them. Mm. So the acting lieutenant on board orders the sailors to open their ports to get ready to fire on the planter. And just as the number three port gun was getting pulled up somebody on the ship yells out i see something that looks like a white flag and the lieutenant calls for the steamer's name and intent and robert small steps forward he takes off his hat and he goes good morning i brought you some of the united states guns sir <laughs> they were for fort sumter and um so he pulls the planter alongside and all 16 people come above decks and just start dancing and whistling and like yelling curses at fort sumter and um because they're they're being taken it's interesting because if you read the the navy logs from it they're taken as contraband and they only refer to them as contraband and it's weird so they say so 16 contraband came on board they call robert smalls intelligent contraband so i mean you know this the north ain't perfect neither right, right. We, don't, 
but no civilian black or white had ever taken a Confederate vessel this size and turned it over to the Union. And no civilian had ever delivered that many guns to the Union. So the, the most valuable things, though, were the intelligence that Robert gave them because he's been listening and paying attention to everything. He hands over the captain's code book that contains this, the Confederate signals and a map of all the mines that had been laid in Charleston Harbor. He also tells them that all of the ideas that they had about how many troops were protecting certain forts in the harbor were mistaken. There were a lot fewer people there than they thought. So he gave them a huge advantage. And, um, you know, some of the people who met him while, you know, right after he came off the planter said he was like the most intelligent person that they'd seen come out of the Confederacy and he's superior to any who had come up to their lines. So he he ends up in Harper's Weekly, like he's a national hero as soon as all this happens and, and word gets out that this man has like turned over this massive ship to the Union. And there, so there are articles with like line drawings of Smalls in um, in Harper's, which I can I think I can post. I think I have those. But <clears throat> in 1862, Congress passes a bill authorizing the Navy to appraise the planter and give Smalls and his crew half the proceeds for the ship for wow. rescuing her from enemies of the government, they said. So he gets $1,500 personally for the ship appraisal. And he, with it, after the war, he purchases his form, the, he purchases the McKee's house from Beaufort because it has gone on the tax rolls. It went into foreclosure and he bought his former owner's house oh, man. with the money that he got from the mic ship. Mic drop right there. It's, oh, yes. I know. <laughs> and it doesn't stop there. The mic drops don't stop. This dude just keeps on going. So the Confederacy put a $4,000 bounty on him and they make up a story that somebody saw white men go on board the planter because they cannot stand the idea that an enslaved black man could have outwitted everybody in Charleston. But, um, and of course that's not true. But um, so after reaching the North, Smalls personally lobbies the secretary of war and president Lincoln to start enlisting black soldiers. And he, once Lincoln agrees, he recruits personally recruits 5,000 black soldiers himself into the war effort for the union. Um, in October, 1862, they take him back to the planter as a pilot um, as part of a South Atlantic blockading squadron. And he engages in like 17 military actions on the planter, one of which he has to assume command when it says under very hot fire, it's white captain became so demoralized that he hid in the coal bunker oh and Smalls God. was like, fuck this shit. And he takes over and wins. Um, so because of this, he's promoted to the captain of the ship that he stole and he becomes one of the highest paid black soldiers in the war. And when the war ends in 1865, Smalls is on board the planter in a ceremony in Charleston Harbor. So like all that shit. And then he goes to serve in the South Carolina State Assembly and the Senate and five non-consecutive terms in the U.S. House of Representatives. So um, Damn. yeah, I mean, Damn. also a really what a awesome life. drunk history. But I was like, uh, I remember not, I remember it now like when she started talking about like yeah. the ships I was like oh yes. yeah he's the one that sold the ship and I had never heard I'd like until we started doing the show and I started researching stuff like this I had never heard of him but I was just like same yeah man it's so fucking cool to me oh my gosh yeah that um one of those it's just one of those stories it's like it's a good story to focus on. I know it's not it's not like strange in our normal strange way but it's it's definitely no. unique it is, <laughs> so. it is a great story great. Uh, I've been actually watching 
I forget the name of the show, but it's the PBS show where they do the genealogies of famous people. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, what is that called? Oh, Lisa Kudrow was one of like the first ones that they did. I remember this. Yeah. They, um, but they had I know like, which one. Where, where are you from? What? Uh, it's, it's like a question. Find, finding, find, I, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. But um, they've got like, you know, some really good, uh, uh, just going back. I love the dude that, that does it. Of course, I can't remember any names, y'all. But um, <laughs> but a lot of them, like, you know, goes back because of enslaved people were considered property. Their names were not documented as mm-hmm. much, but they have found, like, some really unique um, ancestors uh, of different people and it's just I mean I'm totally fascinated I've been like sitting there just binge watching and they would have stories very similar you know to you know these these kind of people who were famous in their backgrounds of, of doing all of you know you know underground railroad kind of stuff and, and it's just amazing to to watch that history when they can find that lineage that goes back you know to the founding fathers if even um and they were talking about, which, you know, we already have touched on and that we've known um, that a lot of the um, Black people who live in the U.S. today have a percentage of um, European history because of the, um, the fact that, you know, the women and their owners would take advantage of them and, and mm-hmm. there was rape and, and all that stuff. So that's that's been interesting to see like that lineage and, and find out like, you know, where it goes. And one of the things I forgot, I think it was uh, Wanda Sykes, the comedian. Hmm. I love her. God, I love her so much. They found out that she is a descendant of free black people. Hmm. Like, like her, um, her descendants, I mean, I'm sorry, her ancestors, she's a descendant, her ancestors um, come from um, a, sounding like a housemaid, like back during the time um, of the Revolutionary War, was, um, fell in love with an enslaved person and had a child out of wedlock. And if you had a child, um, if you were the child of a white woman, then you were automatically free. And so um, it kind of, you know, just like going down. So it's like all of her ancestors from that, that particular line were all free um, black people. And it was just, Mm. it's just like really interesting. And there was like some really like, you know, amazing, like running off, um, to freedom in the middle of the night and like having to walk through the woods and cross rivers. And it's just, there's so many absolutely like amazing people, um, like what they, you know, went through and then what they did in order to become free. It's just like, it blows my mind, you know, cause you think of it like as a tale, like a story, oh, that's, yeah. you know, but then, you know, you have to like realize that this is actual physical things that were happening. Um, do they ever have like absolute assholes in there? Like, do they have like criminals and highwaymen and shit in their backgrounds? You know, <laughs> if they did, they 
didn't harp on it or they didn't cover it i have a feeling that there were probably because you could tell like a lot of the white celebrities were kind of like holding their breath <laughs> like you know it's like oh there's going to be slave owners in my family which i mean honestly a lot there were a lot of slave owners um and so that you could tell that they were like harry connick jr junior he was like you could tell he was like sweating bullets because he just knew <laughs> that you know his, his people owned slaved but if they did they didn't touch on that line um they they kept it i guess um whitewashed for a better word keep it positive for the positive for yeah the ratings but um mm. it's so interesting the last one i watched was actually kevin bacon and was it kira uh, hedge whatever her name is what's his wife's name kira hedge with whitwick hedge sedgwick sedgwick, sedgwick. 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 Ah. yes so they're <laughs> actually yeah that's it they're <laughs> actually uh cousins <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> they're actually like ninth cousins it's funny that doesn't count that show it's is not six degrees Finding your six roots. Degrees of Kevin yeah, Hunter. finding your roots. Finding but your I roots. used to oh, watch okay. the other one called Who Do You Think You Are? It used to come <laughs> on like NBC and it was celebrities doing ancestry work. It was kind of the same idea. Like, and they travel and they go to the places and they go to different countries. Did right? they ever find it's, assholes in their lineage? Yeah, they do. Yeah. Oh. oh, well, maybe that's the difference. Because it's NBC. <laughs> uh, yeah, but they did. Like, they. They've talked about it, but I mean, they try to uh, not spin it, but just like, I don't know. They don't focus on all the negative, but yeah, they've had some. I can't remember exactly. I think Gwyneth Paltrow was on that one, maybe. And I mean, some really big celebrities. Yeah. Same. They had like, um, they had musicians uh, like Branford Marsalis and, um, a bunch of like some politicians. Oh, they had, Okay, y'all. Paul's <laughs> here. Another name. I have. They had uh, the guy, the civil rights guy that just died, John. John Lewis. Uh, John Lewis. Yeah, John Lewis. They had him and his ancestors, and oh, cool. And it was uh, it, yeah, it was really cool. Uh, really enjoyed it. I highly recommend it if y'all are interested in ancestry and and all that. That interesting stories that go along with it they do a really good job cool. but I, I love that story uh, or i love that real life event and and what happened um claiming, claiming now i want to go watch freedom for yeah your family it's awesome mm -hmm. i know right i know all right the best. let's take a break let's take a break i'm gonna get another mimosa yeah me too I almost hit my space bar as though that would pause us, hmm. but we're real life. We are real life. Do you want more Strange South every week? We can help. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can join our Facebook fan group, Fans of the Strange South Podcast, to keep the chat going with our whole creepy community. Do you have a story idea for us or a story of your own to share? Email us at stories at thestrangesouth.com. Plus, if you join our Patreon, you not only help support the podcast, you get an exclusive bonus episode for every show and a discount on merch. 
You can find links to all of these things on our website, thestrangesouth.com, along with photos, links, and show notes from every episode, Strange South t-shirts, mugs, and other goodies. See you there. And we're back. (laughs) (laughs) I do not have really a story story. (laughs) I know y'all are shocked. (laughs) I know it's so unlike me. Um. I did get an email, and this is this is kind of how it's going to flow, y'all. So I got an email. Actually, I got a text from our Kentucky cousin, Levi, who contacts me every once in a while when some strange shit in Kentucky happens, uh, like the woman who wants to get it on with the deer and dresses yes. like deer, right? Okay. Yes. So th- that, that Kentucky cousin. Okay. So he texts me the other day and he's like, yeah, he's like, so me and a woman went camping in Providence Canyon State Park, which is south of Columbus, Georgia. I'm like, okay. And I look up Providence Canyon. So apparently it's Georgia's small Grand Canyon kind of thing. It's got that feel with like the cliffs and, and whatnot. It's also near Lumpkin, Georgia. And he's like, you know, everything was going great. Uh, First night, had the little propane heater and air mattress and nothing happened. Second night, they were out there. They start to hear something out in the woods. And he's like, you know, I spent a lot of time camping in Kentucky. You know, been outside in the country, hunting camping we know what things sound like we we know you know when to get worried and when not to get worried kind of thing and he says he has never heard anything like this ever in his experience he said he heard something that sounded like a t-rex from jurassic park come stomping through the woods and there's he's like there's nothing out there for miles and it's like this thunderous boom uh just coming out through the 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 woods and when he said t-rex from jurassic park i kind of threw me into a memory that i had because right after i saw the first jurassic park i remember we had i drove down to jackson mississippi and we saw it at a theater there and uh i was in college and we took the uh natchez trace back from Jackson to Starkville and the trace is very you know it cuts you know in Mississippi's already rural to begin with but the trace it just cuts through nothingness basically so you feel like you are in like primitive land you're like mm-hmm. land before time and <laughs> I was so like just mind blown from Jurassic Park because that was the first time we've ever seen like real life looking dinosaurs that didn't look like little plastic things mm-hmm. 3d like cgi animation and of the lost yeah and so i could you know i was tripping out because i was thinking you know i could totally see off the natchez trace like these dinosaurs you know just bending down and coming out like i was having like i was just really wigging out it's like i was so <laughs> i was just like and i promise you i, I was completely sober um <laughs> 
and there's just like it, it made such a huge I guess what I'm saying it made such a huge impact on me so when he said like it's you know it was just sound that he could not pinpoint but it was huge it was like t-rex huge and he said we ended up leaving and getting a motel because it scared the shit out of them uh he oh told he told his uh he went back and he told his friend uh, in East Kentucky, you know, what had happened, he's like, yo, you didn't see any squatch, did you? Like Sasquatch. <laughs> and he said that he had listened to this podcast with, you know, Bigfoot hunters, and evidently this area is a hot spot. I was like, oh, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look around. I'm, I'm going to like investigate some more on that, because we hadn't done any Bigfoot stories, really, in a while. Mm-hmm. And, um, but he's like, he's like, seriously, this was no joke. He's like, whatever was in the woods scared the shit out of me. And I had a gun. He's like, it wasn't like I was not packing or anything. It, it's, <laughs> it's something that even with a gun, I, he didn't want to be out there. And, and then he comes back and he says, you know, I'm not saying it was a Sasquatch, but he didn't see anything. And it was huge. And it's or it sounded huge and he said it sounded otherworldly and that was just that was just crazy all i can think of is like when the range when the gun range or the weapons range is like going off around here yeah they're like exploding ordnance or whatever or mm-hmm. you know the, they're shooting things and i was like that always sounds kind of otherworldly other but or, yeah otherworldly. i know I, I don't either and this was like the middle of the night too so so I get on the internet to do my investigative <laughs> research. Reddit. My Reddit <laughs> of all of two days, day and a half. So you know how, how deep this is going to go. So I look up Lumpkin, Georgia, uh, and, you know, it's southwest of Fort Gaines. So it's near a military base. It's uh, south of Columbus, Georgia. And it's in Stewart County. And the only thing that I found, uh, there's the Bigfoot resource online, which is called Bifronet. <laughs> Y'all, there's so much Bigfoot <laughs> shit out there. Bifro. Bifronet. Uh, there was just one report from this area, and it was from Rude Park Campground. And there was actually an article written up about it in the Columbus Ledger Inquirer. And it tells the story of this um, BP quick stop clerk that was working late one night on Alabama Highway 165 at Fort Mitchell, Alabama. And the person working said that about 1030 that night, a young man came in just terrified ghostly white just looked scared out of his mind and said that he need to call the game warden right away and they were like why and apparently he was out uh camping with his in the article they said his companion and then they call him a man in his late 30s or 40s which this guy's 18 the guy that came in was 18 years old and so I don't know that just always makes me go it's like the UFO thing it's like the guy that was out night fishing that was like 18 years old and he was with like a 40 year old non-relative anyway (laughs) 
my my red flags go up there. But anyway, so um, so they'd been camping out at uh, Rude with his dog, which was a yellow door, uh, yellow Labrador retriever, and they started hearing the dog make weird noises, and he started barking, and then the dog started like screaming. Oh, and, God. and just like really terrifying screams. And they thought, you know, the dog was being murdered. And so they go find the dog. And when they get closer, they see some, the guy, the 18 year old sees something that was much bigger than he was. And the 18 year old is about six foot. He's over six foot tall. And so this thing was over six foot tall. And he said it was like human or ape like shape which, I mean, we are eight-like shapes. I mean, <laughs> so, uh, and it was towering over him and he could just barely make out the eyes. He had a pistol because everybody that goes camping has a gun. That's just <laughs> universal truth in the South. You can always pretty much guarantee that everybody's packing. Um, that's, just, that's just how it is. Even at the beauty store, quick, <laughs> quick side break here. <laughs> There was an incident at the place I used to get my hair cut where a woman's gun went off in her purse and it shot the window out of the beauty salon. Oh my God. Oh my God. Everybody's packing. My grandparents would keep a gun underneath their uh, car and, uh, not their car, but underneath the seat of their car when Mm -hmm. they would travel. And gun had a freaking like hair trigger on it like like you could hit a like bump in the road and that thing would go off and they would just like old people and guns well guns scare me anyway yeah um well guns don't scare me the people who carry guns scare me and yes old older people people, put the safety on and purse in the and (laughs) has a hair trigger right or put the safety yeah or just have it like rolling around with like their lipstick there in the purse (laughs) right okay so anyway camping everybody's packing just so you know uh, so he shoots a couple of rounds into this big, huge thing. And uh, apparently it didn't affect whatever they shot at. And the guy was kind of unclear uh, when he was telling this story. And she couldn't tell, like, the clerk couldn't tell, like, did it get the dog? Did it injure the dog? What happened to the dog? You know, obviously, because of how upset he was. But the dog was there. And she's like, there was no blood on the dog or anything like that. But they ended up calling 911. And um, so the cops come to the store and they, you know, they asked the two guys if they wanted to go back to the campground and look around. And the guys were no, uh, they refused to go back to the campground. In fact, they left all of their camping equipment there. And they like were not going to go back. They were not going to go get it. The guy, the 40 year old that was in the uh, camper or the truck or whatever, really would not even get out of the car. And uh, the BP worker said that they parked like in the brightest parking spot, like where all the lights were on, like they were really shook up. And so they couldn't make them go back to get their camping equipment. And they're like, well, do you want to file a report? And they were like, no, no, man. Um, 
one of the guys were less like from louisiana the car had like an arkansas it was just like some really strange stuff going on mm-hmm. or not shady. Or, shady yeah so maybe mm-hmm. they were just like passing through and they're camping out and getting drugs i don't know, <laughs> you know whatever you do uh but so they just kind of like drove off and left you know people they didn't get their names it, it sounded like they got freaked they got freaked out they left all their shit they didn't want to give their names they didn't like want to have anything associated you know tied to them to this bigfoot spotting or, or whatever it is that he saw and they left and nobody heard from them you know or anything like that uh later that evening or the next day a couple of men went to the campground and yeah they had left all their stuff there so they gathered up the stuff and um kept it and that was kind of the end of that and that was the only sighting that i could find um pretty much in this area because i was wanting to look it's like maybe this is a hot spot because it's a Mm -hmm. little bit more south of georgia usually the book bigfoot sightings are more up around augusta more in the north um area of georgia although uh there's a lot of um bigfoot sightings like in north florida so extreme south georgia and that's where you get like skunk ape Mm -hmm. and you get um what is it the okie finoki uh pig man Mm -hmm. um which is supposed to be like bigfoot but like with the pig snout and stuff like that and they said even like in that area they have something called the barden booger Uh, it cracks me up them calling boogers (laughs) so that was interesting uh and i kept you know doing my searching and i found also in this area that back in 2009 the georgia uh police have a dash cam footage of something crossing the road and this is you know this was big news at the time it was in Lumpkin it was in that area and so I went and watched it and you know it was a police cruiser like doing a bazillion miles an hour down a country road basically and I thought I saw something and then of course it's like you know one of those YouTube videos where they come back and they play it slow-mo yeah and then if you still didn't see it they kind of outline it for you which I totally that I'm that person that needs that outline I, because, I am too I can't ever see it because I can never see it and I'm like okay it must have looked better to the cops because the cops were both like oh shit and like mm-hmm. they you know turn around and come back and looking for it and said so that was like this big thing it made national news international news because they have it on like this footage which is really kind of sketchy but they have two police officers that are saying yeah man it was something and it was you know running fast and they have all this analytical stuff about how fast it was moving and you know they compare it to like these these i mean it's just so much it's just so much y'all <laughs> and so I'm st- I'm still looking down the articles and it ends up being <laughs> a couple of college kids <laughs> were dressed up like Bigfoot or in a big ape costume. Oh my god. And anytime a car would like come down the road, they would like dash across the road. Oh my god. <laughs> 
and they were doing it like seriously mm-hmm. to every car that came down the road <laughs> oh and it just God. happened to be the police that came down and recorded oh, it on their dash cam which meant it was like it was real funny because i mean it became a big thing and so they investigated it right <laughs> So the cops went from house to house to house and they, they found these, these two guys that were like very, very nervous, you know, when they came in and they come, they ended up fessing up to it. I just picture like Beavis and Butthead like, like <laughs> behind, behind a bush. <laughs> Dumbass. I'm a Sasquatch. Sasquatch. <laughs> Con Hollyos. I Bigfoot you. <laughs> Bigfoot, you in the bongo. <laughs> oh my gosh, there's another footage. I started going to the footage of Sasquatch in Georgia, in this area, because again, I was really interested as far as what this noise like. I'm going to solve this for Levi. I'm going to find out <laughs> through the internet what this loud noise was. <laughs> uh, I found one other video and it. <laughs> It had me laughing because it was very serious. It's like Sasquatch spotted on town square and, you know, uh, I played it and it's like the middle of a night, small Southern town square with like probably a camera on the courthouse or something shining down recording on the street. There's this guy in an ape suit walking down and he is dancing and he's doing like everything but twerking right for the camera he knows the camera's there but the whole thing was like presented very seriously and it just like it had me laughing so I'm like okay so obviously I'm not going to find it through dash cams YouTube or anything like that so I start looking at other podcasts and i found two really good podcasts i'm gonna start listening to oh yay one of them's called squaring the strange Mm -hmm. and on episode 140 uh it they invite people to talk and they had invite invited uh steve coles who is actually a legit private investigator but he's he's using his talents for investigation uh to investigate sasquatch spotting like like legit investigations of any kind Mm -hmm. of bigfoot's um activity and he's really he's one of those skeptics that wants to believe and that's why i like this podcast Mm -hmm. because they are very um they're very much we're here to try to prove things wrong so that the things that are true like are and you, you cannot argue that they're false let's you know that's let's get cool. get rid of all the hoax and stuff so and that's you know that's how scientists work it's, just, it's mm-hmm. like they try to disprove their theories everything is is you know a win for them is to disprove something works so that they can move on and find the stuff that that does work and that's you know that's kind of his mo and he was pretty instrumental in the georgia bigfoot body hoax which happened i think north georgia um is where this happened but anyway steve coles has the website uh sas his or yeah sasquatchdetective.com which kind of makes me chuckle i mean the whole big thing <laughs> makes me chuckle but you know i, I am a firm believer that everything is based in science 
just like your laboratories in Tennessee. It's just like, we don't know the science yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there's an explanation for everything. We just, you know, even if it seems supernatural, it's just simply because we don't know the science behind it yet. But he goes, sometimes it's just Beavis and Butthead. Sometimes it's just Beavis (laughs) and Butthead, right? Or a couple of people like getting high out in the woods and thinking they see Sasquatch (laughs) and it's a bear, you know, but that's what he does. He goes around, he hears something, he goes, investigates it to try to not intentionally, not to be a dick, prove it wrong, but because he wants to find out, you know, their true stories. And because of the way Bigfoot is in the Bigfoot community, there's, there's a lot of people that are wanting to make money off of Bigfoot. Yeah. And that was basically what the Georgia Bigfoot body hoax was about. Uh, it was a couple of guys from Georgia. They talked this guy maybe in California to come down and they were trying to set it up. Like we found his body. We have it frozen you can take samples, you know, we found, found a, a dead Bigfoot, you can take samples, and it's going to be, like, along the lines of, uh, what was the alien autopsy? Alien autopsy. So that's how they wanted to play this out, and they were pitching it, actually, to Fox. So it became, like, this really, like, this guy invested all this money in it, they froze this thing that they were calling Sasquatch. There was guts, there was, you know, it, it looked you know, from afar, it looked legit. And they had this person saying that it was legit. And this guy, Steve Coles, uh, comes in and he's like, hey, what's up, guys? (laughs) Basically. (laughs) And they, you know, they had to thaw out, you know, one of the things they did is they froze it like in a block of ice and they had to thaw out the Sasquatch in order to take samples. And he wanted to take his own sample Mm -hmm. and wanted to test the hair of the Sasquatch because they said like if you burn hair you know it's going to burn and smell awful if it's plastic it's going to burn into a little ball Hmm. and uh it ended up burning into a little ball so it was like a costume and then they just put like possum guts on it or something like that yeah so he's he's the one that kind of blew that case open but again it made like national international news and they were setting it up. And the guy that was like behind getting investors to like make a full production of this, like the alien autopsy uh, had people that were ready to set up like museums, like Bigfoot museums in California is I guess where they're going to ship off body parts of this fake Bigfoot in order to like make money. That's what they were doing. And, oh, and that's that's, that's dumb. yeah and that's what this guy basically but i totally like i recommend y'all listening to squaring the strange um it was really entertaining they got really good guests and this episode 140 where they talked to steve coles um it was it was really interesting uh talking about this whole georgia bigfoot body of hoax all right and like i said so many uh bigfoot podcasts the second <laughs> podcast that I totally recommend, and and y'all, I promise I'm going somewhere with this. Welcome I'm into it. To my you don't even have to be. Okay. <laughs> so on my second podcast that I got into is Into the Fray, which is like a, another really good uh, podcast. Uh, I enjoyed their personalities. They, I just, I mean, it was, it was a good show. 
It's a good show. And they have a lot of podcasts. So on their podcast, 214, episode 214, they do an interview with this um, guy from Augusta, Georgia. And I learned something new. You know, the first time I did the uh, Bigfoot talk, I talked about, you know, the Alabama Bigfoot sightings and how if you smile at a Bigfoot, they'll punch you <laughs> in the face, right? Yes. <laughs> and you talked about um the warrens going mm. and having like mind Weird. telepathy yes. with a bigfoot so you know we've talked about bigfoots and you would think that i would learn or i would know this um but again i'm not of the bigfoot culture and it is its own culture mm. um, it's just crazy. Okay. So anyway, I'm listening to this hunter. And again, it's, you know, boy growing up in the country, been hunting ever since he could walk, basically, all the time out in the woods, living, living in the woods, because his dad was a big hunter. And, um, you know, just spent years and years out there hunting. One day, he's by himself in a blind. And he's looking around, just sitting there. And it's like, you know, hunting sucks. It's like, it's cold. <laughs> you're by yourself. And most of the time, nothing's happening. Most of the time, there's nothing happening. So he's sitting up there and he says something like bends around a what? tree and looks at him. And of course, I forget how old. I think he's like in his young <laughs> teens and he shoots <laughs> at it. Like, of course, <laughs> that's what you do, right? Something like it's headed straight for us shows their head <laughs> around a tree and looks at you you shoot at it and the woman was like well it wasn't human was it and he was like no he's like my dad brought us up where we would get into such trouble if we even like shot a possum or, or anything like that it's like if you were shooting you were shooting uh because you know it was intent of a thing it wasn't just shooting anything that moves but this thing had scared him so much because it wasn't human uh mm. that he shot at it and that like that made him not want to go out into the woods and he was like you know he started like making excuses of not wanting to go out hunting with his dad and everything and he ends up, I don't know if it's like a couple of years later or not, but he starts to kind of keep an eye out because he's thinking maybe it's Bigfoot, maybe it's something like that. And y'all know those big power lines that cut through between cities where they keep up the grass and it's mm -hmm. just, you know, those things are called Bigfoot highways, basically. Hmm. And uh, supposedly, if you want to see a Bigfoot, you go stake out like one of those areas and they're supposed to walk through that and use it kind of like as their main thoroughfare. But he was doing it because it uh, allowed him to get kind of up on a hill and to see for a ways so that he could see deer uh, when he was hunting. But he's sitting there and all of a sudden something I don't know if it jumps up behind him. It comes up upon him before he knows what's happening. Oh, it God. screams in his face. And then oh. it, it lets out some sort of sound that causes him to piss himself, vomit, <laughs> and then pass out. 
What? And so when he's telling this lady on, on this podcast, this, and this is the new thing that I learned. She's like, oh, she's like, so it was projecting uh, infrasound. And I'm like, what? And she was acting like, well, Bigfoots do that now. And I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> you know? And so I look up what infrasound is. And infrasound, uh, sometimes referred to as low frequency sound, it's like the sound waves that are at the lower limit of what we can hear. And um, we cannot detect. So a lot of animals, like elephants, will actually communicate using this infrasound lower uh, uh, sound that we hear. Also whales, whales huh. will talk in the infrasound. So we think of uh, bats at high frequency, yeah. how they communicate um, and bounce sound off of. Well, infrasound is like the exact opposite. It's on the other side of the spectrum. And if you have enough of that infrasound, the sound pressure, um, or make the sound pressure of the infrasound really high, it can mess up a person. It could cause you to let go of your bowels. It can cause you to vomit and it can cause you to um, uh, pass out. And it's I feel actually like the U.S. military would have grasped onto this. Oh, they have. It, it's been a thing. Okay, it, it has been a thing. Um, and I remember uh, being in college and hearing <laughs> something about Old Miss uh, doing some kind of lab sound, weaponizing uh, frequency or weaponizing sound that had like an article in the paper or something uh, using this. And I think actually China has started using it for crowd dispersal. Well, they'll have info Ooh. sound guns uh, that will just immobilize people and make them run. Make, it makes you feel really, really bad. And then if you stay oh. in it, you end up like passing out. So apparently uh-huh. that is like Bigfoot's new thing that he can do. And he did this <laughs> to that man. And after like, he says he passed out. He's like, he's, he didn't remember like puking pissing himself he says he remembers something screamed in my face I felt weird I passed out he's like two hours later he was in his car and he woke up and then he's like when he woke up he noticed that he had pissed himself and he had vomited um either in or near his car him in his car questions these are questions we have to ask right (gasps) so don't really know but obviously it's enough a deterrent where (laughs) he has given up hunting completely he says he won't even go out like fishing or like in a boat or anything and while he's saying this the lady goes oh yeah right because you know um bigfoots could be swimming underneath you and i'm like they can do that so anyway i'm just like i i know nothing about bigfoot wow And, and this is just totally it just blew my my mind um just all of this stuff it's overwhelming my whole day Holy and a half crap. of a bigfoot research is <laughs> <laughs> making my brain hurt <laughs> but of course <clears throat> there's always that little nugget that, <laughs> that you grasp and i thought it was going to be the ultrasound or the the infrasound sorry the, the infrasound that bigfoot did <laughs> but no I don't know what it is I searched to find this little nugget, but y'all, 
There's a Rolling Stone article. Well, actually, I didn't Ooh. get this from the article. I got this from a newspaper where apparently uh, there is like this district runoff between these two people. And one of, <laughs> one of, the, uh, one of the people accused uh, this person, Denver Riggleman, in 2018 of being a devotee of Bigfoot erotica. Oh my God. This is in a tweet. <laughs> so as soon as I saw that, I was like, okay, left turn. We saw which way. <laughs> we saw how this is going to follow up. And it became like this huge thing, you know, that this this one person was accusing this other person of being because you know their race was getting nasty or whatever. Obviously. But is this in georgia no this was actually i want to say in um maybe virginia please tell me that you googled bigfoot erotica yes (laughs) and and that's where i got the rolling stone (laughs) magazine article that i'm fixing to just highlight some points here because they did all the work valentine's day (laughs) exactly There you go. <laughs> Marleya presents you with a loving, sacrificial, <laughs> you know, like, let's go to war and fight for our family love story. And I'm here for Bigfoot erotica. <laughs> <laughs> this makes me happy. <laughs> uh, so apparently this she called him a devotee of of bigfoot erotica and of course everything went everybody like the internet stopped and just went, <laughs> like what hello and and this um this guy denver uh wiggleman he's <laughs> a great uh, name he actually ha- wrote a book uh called mating habits of bigfoot and why women want him <laughs> And the USA Today describes it basically as a parody of an anthropological study. So it's, it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing. But the, the article comes around and says, but Bigfoot erotica oh is no joke. Oh, I bet it's not. Apparently, Sasquatch sex has been around for a long time. <laughs> including old-fashioned porn. Old-fashioned porn. I don't know what that means. Uh, <laughs> in 1977, there is an erotic paperback, which has a really fantastic cover. It's called Nights with Sasquatch. Oh, my God. However, it's got kind of a throw up. I mean, I mean, that's a throw up title. Okay. <laughs> but then the tagline is explosive ordeal of rape and revenge. Oh, I know. Attractive. It's not attractive at all. <laughs> And 1981, there is a short porn film called The Geek, which is about a group of hitchhikers who have an unexpected and sexy encounter with Bigfoot. (laughs) Why is it called The Geek? I was like, I have no idea. But that's not what I've heard of. No, I I, I don't know. I don't know the connection either. And Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't google any further i was really a little scared (laughs) to google bigfoot erotica um but i did for y'all this is what i'm willing to go through for (laughs) y'all 
there's also a woman named Virginia Wade, and she has a 16 installment series about Bigfoot erotica. Mm-hmm. One of her most uh, notable books is called Come for Bigfoot. Oh my God. <laughs> and she started writing this after noticing <laughs> that Bigfoot is like the ultimate alpha male. And oh, Jesus. Oh, I know. <laughs> Apparently, cryptos- uh, cryptozoological uh, <laughs> porn is very uh, popular. Wow. So there's there's books about wow. sex with mythological creatures like leprechauns and minotaurs and all of that out there. But old Virginia Wade and her 16 installment series uh, oh with her ultra male uh, Bigfoot, uh, she is earning about $30,000 a month. What? Yes. Yes. What? I know. Wrong business. <laughs> I'm really in the wrong business. Jeez. There's another uh there's a, another series called the Namaste with Sasquatch series. <laughs> <laughs> which is about a group of friends who go on a yoga retreat in the Rocky Mountains where Bigfoot and his lusty appetite await. I need to, I, I might have to buy that one. <laughs> and then, and Probe. Sorry. Excuse me? <laughs> that's, that's the name of the author, Anne Probe, uh, wrote Boffing Bigfoot. <laughs> British, huh? <laughs> mm, yeah. And then uh, another author called Candy Banger. No, <laughs> Candy Banger is the name of the book, and it is uh, proving that Sasquatch swings both ways. Wow. <laughs> and then the last one, but not least, <laughs> is Robin Blackbird, writer of Bigfoot Did Me From Behind, and I liked it. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day, y'all. <laughs> why is this a thing (laughs) i don't know i don't know oh my god i thought furries were bad but you know oh it's wow just (laughs) there you go it's i i feel like i don't know for some reason the only frame of context that I have for this or frame of reference that I have is that like, is that, uh, that like, was that late eighties, early nineties, beauty and the beast for romantic, like series that was on TV. It's oh, like, it was so bad. Close. That's yeah. as close as we got to like mainstream monster erotic in America. Right. <laughs> who knew but that's like one of those little golden nuggets that you find when you're just doing your day and a half research on why our uh kentucky cousin heard a big loud noise in the middle of georgia forest oh my god all i gotta say is that he probably dodged a bullet (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Levi. <laughs> <laughs> right? 
Thanks for this Valentine's bullet. Valentine's joy. Uh, I'm uh, <laughs> so Namaste with Sasquatch is 99 cents on Kindle. Ooh. And I'm like, <laughs> quality. Do you have any plans for the after talk? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm right there with you. Bye now with one click. <laughs> All right, guys. We've got stuff to read. For $3, (laughs) you too. You too. What might be my reading out loud of Namaste with Sasquatch. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's too much. Thank y'all so much for putting up with us and listening. (sighs) We appreciate y'all so much. Thank you. Happy Valentine's Day. We hope hope you come on over to the other side and um, it'll be entertaining if nothing else. Not in a gross way. Yeah, not in a gross way. We're not those people. We're just going to laugh. All right. See y'all. Thank you guys. Bye. Bye. And then the last one, but not least, is Robin Blackbird, writer of Bigfoot Did Me From Behind, and I liked it. (laughs) Happy Valentine's Day, (laughs) y'all. Why is this a thing? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Oh my God.